Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. When you come to Res, if you're new, typically you're going to find us studying through a book of the Bible. That's what we're doing right now. We're in the book of Romans. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Romans. Um, I'm going to pick up a couple of verses from chapter 1, but then we're going to dive into chapter 2 this week. So Romans, if you want to just go ahead and hold your place at Romans 1 verse 16. And then we're going to quickly get to Romans uh, chapter 2. I'm going to do a little bit more review this week than I normally do. Because last week we took the week off from Romans uh, for our building dedication. And for those of you that missed last week, uh, we moved back into this facility last Sunday after a renovation. And so uh, we, we hit pause on Romans for a week, but we're going to pick it back up this week. There's some things that we learned in Romans chapter 1 that are really, really crucial. The first thing we learned is that from Paul in Romans 1 is that salvation is coming by grace through faith. By grace through faith. Now, Paul has not said that explicitly, at least in those words in Romans 1. He does in Ephesians 1 and 2. But there's been some hints and some pointers that salvation is not something that we can earn or merit. It is a free gift from God by grace. In verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1, Paul says that it, it is through grace that has come by way of Christ that Paul has received his apostleship and uh, his calling. So in other words, Paul would say, everything that I am and everything that I'm doing I'm doing by the grace of God. I am by the grace of God. And then he looks at the Romans and he says, look, you belong to Jesus too. You are loved by God. You are saints and all of that because of grace. And then in verses 16 and 17, which I think are the key verses in the book of Romans, Paul tells us that this grace of God is something that is received and realized by faith. Let me read this. Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by... Everybody say it. Come on. Faith, right? So Paul has begun with some really, really, really good news. That salvation is coming by faith. It is a gift of grace that gives rise to faith, that gives rise to obedience. God is saving people. And it's what's really cool for me is that this it's through the proclamation of the gospel. It's through people saying words of truth that God calls people to faith and even keeps believing people believing. That's some really, really Good news. That's the first thing we learned from chapter 1. Here's the second thing, is that the wrath of God is being revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness. So after telling us some good news, Paul gives us the really bad news. And one of the things we talked about is that understanding the bad news is really as important as understanding the good news. Because the magnitude of our joy in the gospel 
It hinges on our understanding of the bad news. You cannot fully celebrate what you've been saved to until you understand what it is that you've been saved from. Right? So Paul says that the wrath of God is being revealed. He says that everybody knows God. Everybody knows there is a God. And you might say, well, wait a minute, Bradley. I know some people who don't believe in God at all. Paul addresses that. He says that God has made some things about Himself plainly known, namely His divine nature and His eternal power are clearly known in the things that He's made. And so if people are denying that, Paul says they're suppressing the truth or they're holding it down, the truth that God has made plain about Himself in the things that He's made. And it actually goes a step further, is that humanity... It's suppressing the truth. Instead of giving God honor and thanks and gratitude, they, they instead worship creation instead of creator. So affection and adoration and gratitude is given to things like the universe. Have you met anybody that says they pray to the universe? Right? People that celebrate nature or people that celebrate material things or symbols of power. There's this dark exchange that's happened in humanity where instead of our, which our hearts giving worship to God, to the, to the Creator, worship goes to everything else but Him, goes to creation. And as a result of this dark exchange, God has actually handed men over, Paul said. It's a judicial act by God. He hands men over to the lusts of their hearts. And, and as a result, there's this just disorder that's taking place in the natural that is the result of this spiritual disorder. And he lists all these sins that uh, we see in our world. He talks about homosexuality. He talks about hatred of God. He talks about idolatry, just all manner, heartlessness and ruthlessness. And he, and he tells us actually how far the rabbit hole goes that humanity comes to the place because they're not giving honor to God, that we actually begin to call what is evil good. That's how far this has gone. That's the bad news that Paul has told us that's on the heels of the good news. Now, here's what I think Paul has done. I think Paul has lured his readers, beginning of chapter 2, and us into a reaction. He's lured us into a reaction. It's really how this book of Romans is set up. Paul presents the truth. He presents his arguments. And he anticipates reactions and questions coming as a result of what he's just said. And so for the rest of this book, he's going to be dealing with these anticipated reactions and questions that come up as a result of the truth that he's presented. So having gone through chapter 1 and saying, God is saving people by grace through faith. The wrath of God is being revealed. We see that in the wickedness in humanity. What's the reaction now that he's going to address in chapter 2? Let's read it. Verse 1. He says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? 
Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day, uh, on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. First thing I want you to notice is how Paul goes from talking about them to talking about you. Paul knows he's writing to a church that is made up of both Jewish Christians and Gentile or non-Jewish Christians. And here's the reaction he's anticipating, probably particularly from his Jewish audience. You get them, Paul. You tell those sorry pagan Gentiles that they're going to get what's coming to them. Those bad people, those idolaters, those haters of God, those deceivers. You tell them, Paul, they're going to get wrath and they deserve it. Here's what Paul's exposing. He's exposing the moralist. He's exposing the people that take the moral high ground and use that as a means of justifying themselves. This is the tendency of moral religious people to look at the seemingly immoral, non-religious people and go, you're bad, but I'm, I'm good. I don't do bad stuff, right? I mean, I mean, yeah, occasionally, man, I mean, I might make a mistake here and there, but I, I'm not really bad. I don't do that. Look at those people, right? You know, I, I might fudge a little bit on my taxes, but I don't steal. It's the moralist. I'm a good person, and good people go to heaven, right? That's, that's really the, the, the refrain that we, we, we see in the, in the story of humanity is, is even, even among non-religious people who don't necessarily uh, believe in, in, in the God of the Bible, there's this thought, there's this instinct maybe that's like, okay, well, if I'm good, I'll go to heaven. Whatever heaven is, whatever's after death, as long as I'm a good person, person as long as I'm not like those people but Paul exposes that because he goes look you you who judge you have no excuse you do the very same things it's the moralist it's the one who takes the moral high ground as a means of justifying himself or herself here's the sin of the moralist okay which that sounds kind of odd doesn't it? it sounds like an oxymoron but here's the sin of the moralist. It's really twofold in my mind. One is, it's the sin of passing judgment. Passing judgment. I don't think Paul is talking about having a healthy and right, biblically rooted understanding of what is good and what is evil. I don't think that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about having a good and healthy understanding of what is right and what is wrong. The, the word he uses for judgment means to separate oneself. So the, the, the first part of the sin of the moralist is the moralist separates himself or herself. He, he or she compares themselves to other people and says, well, I'm not like that, so I'm good. 
It's a sin of comparison. Here, here's the other part of the sin, is that this sort of judgment leads to turning a blind eye to my own sin. It, it, it's, I, you know, you, you think about the list that Paul gives at the end of chapter 1. He lists all kinds of rank sin, doesn't he? And you, and you read that and you hear him talk about idolatry. You hear him talk about hatred of God or sexual immorality. And you can almost imagine the moralist standing in the corner, smug and self-righteous, and totally glossing over the other things that Paul mentions. Things like, you know, covetousness, envy. Nobody in here has ever struggled with envy, have you? Gossiping, pride, disobedience to parents, deceit. It's clear, it's how, how easy is it for the moralist to sit back and go, well, I don't hate God. I haven't killed anybody. You know, you ever heard people say things like, you know, I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. You might ever heard somebody say that? Raise your hand if you heard people say, I don't want to go to church full of hypocrites. You know, here's what, I, what dawned on me this week. Hypocrites are not necessarily people that claim to, to be people of faith, but sometimes slip up. That's not the problem. The problem with the church and the perception that the church is full of hypocrites is that at times the church can be full of people who try to anchor their salvation to their moral high ground rather than the grace of God. Is, is their passing judgment, their qualifying and quantifying sin, ignoring their own sin, and passing judgment on others and walking around with this sort of smug, self-righteous attitude that, you know what, I'm good. So I'm in. And good people go to heaven, right? You know, Jesus addressed this too. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I think Jesus is making the same point that Paul's making. Or Paul made the same point that Jesus made. It's interesting to me that Jesus uses the metaphor of seeing and eyes. Think about how crazy it is, how insane it sounds, that I could look at someone else and see a speck in their eye and totally miss the log in my own. It's crazy, isn't it? But if you stop and think about it, this is that blindness that the moralist has is because the moralist is focusing on comparing himself to other people. He totally misses the log or the plank that is in his own eye. And this is not only true of people in the church, of sort of moral religious people. This is also true of people outside the church, people that dismiss religious tradition altogether. 
but have this attitude of, well, I'm not like them, so I'm good. And good people go to heaven, right? What if the Bible actually said that? Stop and think about it for a minute. The moralist thinks he wants a God that's fair. The moralist thinks he wants a good God that will just let good people into his heaven. Imagine we all get to eternity and God lines us all up in a line and compares us to each other and is going to let the good people in and take, send the bad people away. Can you imagine that scenario? Well, she did and he did, but I never did. And then you got the other group going, yeah, but I was born into or I never had a chance to. Or this was done to me or I never had the opportunity. Can you imagine that chaos that would ensue just by comparing ourselves with one another? And ultimately it would end up in one big cosmic injustice. Because the truth of the matter is, None of us are good. And we know that. If we, if, if we stop and think about the notion of God defining good by comparison with ourselves, that's a disaster. It's a disaster waiting to happen. So what's Paul doing? Here's what I think Paul is doing. Paul is taking us on a tour of the human condition. And the, one of the first stops on this tour is the moralist, people who have drank the deadly poison of comparison, trying to determine some standard of goodness with which to justify themselves that doesn't hold water. But, but here's where the tour is going to end up, okay? It, this tour starts in chapter 1, verse 18. It goes all the way to chapter 3, verse 23. And let me read chapter 3, verse 23 for you, because this is where we're going. This is where we're going to end up in this tour, is this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let's just read that together. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's the problem with the moralist is the moralist has no way of determining what is good through comparison with other people. The only way to determine what is good and what is right is to look at our holy and righteous God. He is the standard of goodness. And so when you we stop comparing ourselves with one another and we start actually looking at Him, here's the conclusion we come to. We all need the gospel. There is no way for us to justify ourselves comparing ourselves with one another. We've got to have something else altogether because compared to a holy and righteous God, none of us are good. And you might have come in here this morning and you may be a person who says, you know what, well, I've lived a pretty good life. I've lived a pretty clean life. You know, I haven't, I haven't done those things. And, and, and the dangerous the dangerous ground that you might be standing on this morning is that you have anchored your faith and your, your confidence in God to some standard of goodness that you've set by comparison with people. 
And the problem is, when you compare yourself to a holy and righteous God, you realize that none of us are good on our own. But maybe you came in here today and you feel anything but good. You feel like, you know what, I've made a mess of my whole life. I, 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 I've made every mistake possible. I don't feel like the moralist. I feel like the person that just has no business even being here this morning. This is where the gospel comes in and speaks good news to all of us. Because it reminds us that none of us are good. None of us can earn a standard of goodness. Because here's what the gospel teaches us. Is that we don't understand good by comparing ourselves to one another. We don't. Christianity is not an effort to make ourselves feel good. The gospel invites us to understand how it is that we can be made good. That's, that's, that's where this is ultimately going. Here's the danger for the moralist. The one who tries to justify himself or herself by comparison with other people. Paul says in verse 5, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So, to the moralist who's judging other people, you're deceiving yourself to think that you would be assuaging the wrath of God by comparing yourself to other people. Paul says what you're actually doing is you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of judgment. The truth is, all of us will be judged. And not according to some standard we create or manufacture, but according to the standard of God's holiness and righteousness. There's something else in this text that we need to get. Something Paul tells us about this God. I want you to look at verse 2 again. Paul says, We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things, do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? So here's one thing Paul tells us about God is that God is just. Let me try that again. God is just. When He judges because of sin, no one will be able to raise a legitimate objection. Nobody's going to say, that's not fair, God. Because His judgment of sin is always just. But here's the second thing He says. Look at the next verse. Verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Here's what Paul says about God. Is that He's rich in kindness. He's not just a little bit kind. He has huge resources of kindness and of patience and of long-suffering or forbearance. So God is just, but His justice doesn't demand that He punish us for our sins immediately. His kindness actually leads Him 
to be patient with us, to be long-suffering with us. God can put up with people for months, years, and decades of them resisting His kindness that's meant to lead them to repentance. The truth of the matter is, God could be done with all of us right now. He could have been done with us a long time ago and taken us all away to judgment, but He hasn't. He's been kind to us, and His kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. The fact that we're alive right now in the presence of a holy and righteous God should amaze all of us. It should amaze all of us. And I, 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 I'm, I have a growing concern for the church, for our understanding of the gospel, that we've lost sight of just how big a deal it is, how unbelievable it is that God is being patient and kind right now. The same God that is revealing His wrath is revealing something else at the same time. Grace and mercy and kindness. He's being patient with people and His patience is meant to lead us to repentance. The difference between a Christian someone who goes to heaven? Here's the question. Do good people go to heaven? The answer is yes. But if goodness is determined by our effort, it will fall short every time. Every time. And you play that tape out in your head and you know that. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is not someone who does more good than evil or only has a little bit of evil. It's like my dad likes to say this all the time that some teacher of his said, yes, you know, years and years and years ago, is that if you miss heaven by an inch, you'll bust hell wide open. It's kind of crude, but... Being righteous is not a matter of getting close. Nine out of ten, eight out of ten, not before a holy God. And Paul's got to deal with this with the moralist who who wants to take a moral high ground and trust in self rather than trust in God. That's why I say the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is not someone who does more good than evil. It's someone who has come to understand the gospel and by grace through faith isn't doing more good necessarily than evil. They have been made good. So, if getting into heaven is by God's standard of goodness you might feel this reaction coming up. But I can't do that. And that's the reaction we're going to get into next week. That's, that's the next step in the journey of the tour of the human condition is that I can't live up to that standard. But this is where the tour is going to end up, and I want to remind us of this yet again. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His gift 
by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. If you have been saved this morning, I hope that you would be refreshed in knowing that you're not saved because you got your act together. You're not saved because you cleaned yourself up. You're not saved because you began to do more good than evil or you shed some past sins that you know you, you had struggled with in the past. If you're saved this morning, it's not because you're good, it's because God has made you good by the blood of His Son who is truly good. If you're not saved, maybe you identify with the moralist. You know, maybe, maybe you've thought of yourself as a good person compared to bad people. But I hope, I told the praise team and before church this morning as we prayed, I said, if we get anything right this morning, anything, God makes anything clear my prayer would be that all of us would come away with a clear and renewed sense of we all need the gospel I heard somebody say one time every time you point your finger at someone else you got three pointing back at you It's really true, isn't it? We found our hope. We found our peace. We found our promise. We can look to a patient and kind God and let Him take this this righteousness that we try to manufacture on our own that the Bible says is like filthy rags compared to a holy God. I said this a couple of weeks ago. You know, our, we've got a lot of problems in our world. We've got, you know, we're in an election season yet again. I've grown to detest those years. We've got political tensions. We've got, we've got arguments being thrown back and forth on social media. People taking high grounds. And, and you, know, you know what I've seen probably more than at any other time in my life is I've seen people that I know and love who have grown up in church abandoning their faith. Abandoning... Um, what they've been taught 
And sometimes I wonder, I wouldn't say it's true of every case, but sometimes I wonder if what the church has lacked, at least in recent years, is a clear understanding of the gospel. Our biggest problem is not social injustice, it's not racism, it's not poverty. It's not terrorism. Our biggest problem is that there's a holy God. And the only way to deal with that problem is this holy God in His kindness gives people grace through His Son that is received by faith. And when that's understood that the the greatest problem, you can feed a hungry person you can give them a meal and fill their belly for a few hours. Or you can give a hungry person the gospel. And even if they're hungry the next day, here's the truth. We studied this in last week in Ephesians. They have a hope and they have a rich inheritance and there's a power at work in them that's so great. It can only be likened to the power that it took to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. The greatest justice that you can offer anyone is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The greatest gift that God could give to humanity through His church is the good news that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But this righteous God who is just is also the justifier who takes His goodness and He overcomes our bad with the blood of His good Son. He overcomes our unrighteousness with the one the Bible says knew no sin, yet He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Maybe maybe what we, the best thing we could do this morning is let our let the holy spirit resurrect our desperation our hunger our urgency for the grace of god if you're saved listen you're justified and you're clean before god you're not under wrath if you're not saved if you have yet to trust jesus There's only one way to escape judgment and the wrath of God. And that's through abandoning yourself in faith to Jesus Christ who died in your place. And you can do that today. We're going to sing. And in these songs, there are words that aren't inspired Scripture, but they're rooted in Scripture. These are words you can pray even as you sing and you can cry out to this holy, good God. You can let His kindness lead you to repentance this morning. My prayer is that that would happen for you. For those of you that don't know Him and for those of you that do, that you'd be refreshed in this truth. We could not measure up But God did what could not be done otherwise through His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Stand with me. 
Father, we look to you. We're coming off our moral high grounds this morning. Lord, we realize that every effort we might make to justify ourselves is futile. But Lord, thank you for the good news. Sometimes it's hard to reckon with the bad news, but Lord, my prayer is that, Lord, as our awareness grows of just how how powerful this gospel is that has overcome, Lord, the, the sin and the unrighteousness that we all once walked in, that, Lord, you would just increase our joy and our satisfaction and our confidence in you and Lord if there are those here that don't know would you call them to repentance through your kindness would you let this gospel penetrate the hearts of every person here today and Lord draw us closer to yourself in Jesus name and we thank you Let's sing. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message, and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.